Hello, and welcome to the Nice at Mac podcast. I'm Melinda Person, and this is our inaugural episode. We're excited to bring you stories and conversations of NYSET activism and advocacy from around New York State. In this episode, we'll talk about why you should vote no on a constitutional convention in New York State this November. We'll also hear stories from retired union leader Rod Sherman about his ongoing commitment to the labor movement. But first up, let's talk to NYSET member and newly elected assembly member Christine Pellegrino. Coming out of both the Suffolk County Board of Elections and the Nassau County Board of Elections, that uh, as Democratic Chairman, I can declare this victory. By now, you probably know her story. In a recent special election for Long Island's 9th Assembly District, NYSET member and elementary reading teacher Christine Pellegrino overcame a 12,000 voter enrollment disadvantage to pull off an upset that's getting national media attention. As you can imagine, Christine was very busy in the days before her swearing in, but she's a great multitasker, so she managed to take some time to talk with NYSET regional political organizer Jeff Friedman during an appointment at her local hair salon. But even with all of the hustle and bustle of the salon going on around them, what you hear most clearly in this conversation is Christine's enthusiasm as she reflects on the election, on the support she received from an army of NYSET members and progressive volunteers, and her anticipation of being able to represent her community in Albany. Hi, this is Jeff Friedman, and I'm here today with Assemblywoman-elect Christine Pellegrino. Uh, it's been a few days after the election, but we're still, I think, floating uh, with excitement and anticipation of bringing you up to Albany. So, Christine, now that you're past the election, what are some of your thoughts and reflections? It's been an amazing ride. It's been an amazing journey. I definitely am still floating. I have said that this process has been like riding a wave of enthusiasm and support and energy and love. It's come from our members. It's come from um, inside our, our union. It's come from outside. It's come from all, um, all aspects, all over. So what was the final straw that made you toss your hat in to run for office? So found out that there was going to be a special election in my district. Um, and I had been, you know, a part of Committee of 100 for, for many years. Um, so I had been lobbying in the Capitol before and knew what that was like. And being involved in Opt Out, you know, with Jeanette, her, um, her, her message to us was always that we needed to be at the table. We needed to be in the room. We needed to stop being the people on the sidelines. Um, when this happened, I, I said, you know, this is perfect for me. This is where I, this is where I belong. And, and coincidentally, it was the weekend of Committee of 100. Um, so I came to Albany. Um, to talk with my brothers and sisters about what the possibilities were. Um, and we talked about it, right? Yes. We, um, and, you know, we mentioned it to Melinda. Um, and Melinda was very excited about the possibility of having a member run. Um, and she, you know, we said, well, you know, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. It's a, it's a really Republican district. It's never been held by a Democrat. It's never been held by a woman before. And she said, um, why not? 
why not? We have uh, we discovered that we have 6,000 NYSET members in, in the district. We're a labor-heavy town, despite the makeup of the district on paper. Um, and, you know, we have some corruption scandals that have been plaguing and, and was sort of set up for success to really take this and, and craft a, a message that resonated and build a, a tremendous message and campaign and, and ultimately we were successful. So how do you feel the support was by your brothers and sisters and, and, and the union itself? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, at some point um, was getting the updates about how many phone calls were going out, um, the member-to-member program that was being implemented at the RA. I was, you know, discovering that letter-writing campaign was happening and um, the work in getting the union presidents involved. We had over 200 locals um, that had members in our district, and we were really asking those presidents to be involved in, in contacting their members about what was going on, and they delivered on that, and that's, that's amazing. That level of activism hasn't been achieved in a really, really long time, and, and to have them stand up and and support me and be excited about it created a, a tidal wave of energy that you know I, I I felt from from the North Country. Andy came down with with pictures of phone banking from the Southern Tier, rooms of people phone banking from around New York. There's nothing more thrilling than that. So, what type of advice would you give somebody else? Another brother or sister, maybe from Committee of 100, that might be always thinking down the road, what if? I think ultimately, you have to do it. If you, if you feel like this is a, that this is the right move, that this, is a, that this is a calling, this is something to be passionate about, then um, supporting that effort as a union is something that we um, should, should be very serious about, because we all benefit when our members are in positions of leadership, when we are the people that are making the decisions, when we're at the table crafting the policy, it helps us all. And the, the activism and the energy that is felt in the ranks by those who are helping make that happen is something that is invaluable, especially at this time in our history where we are we're under attack and we really need, we really need strong leaders and, and we need to believe that um, there's a path forward for us. That's terrific. I mean, I think this is this is a fun day for us because we're not campaigning. We're sitting here in a salon having a day of beauty. And, and in a couple of days, we'll be up in Albany where we'll be swearing you in. What thoughts do you have about that day, about bringing your family up to Albany? So the, the Capitol is a place that I've spent a lot of time in, and I've had some, some pretty remarkable moments. I was there in the chamber very coincidentally um, when Carl Hasty was sworn in as speaker, when he was elected. Um, I was there for the, the election of uh, Board of Regents recently. Um, I've had some really serious connections to what goes on in the chamber, and to be sworn in as a member of the assembly to have everybody there 
um, sitting in the gallery, making our presence known in the people's house will be, I, I think, a moment of, of, of sheer elation for us. Um, the coalition that we've built, the representation that we'll have, the enthusiasm, I think that will be felt around New York, across the country, and possibly even in the White House. That's exciting. Well, I think I'll let you continue with your day of beauty. Thank you. So Thank enjoy you. your day. Thank you. Thank and you. I look forward to working with you up in Albany. It's exciting. Assemblywoman-elect Christine Pellegrino. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Assemblywoman Christine Pellegrino is a star of NYSIT's Pipeline Project, a program we started a few years ago to encourage our members to step up and run for office. For school board, for town council, for county legislature, even state assembly and senate, and maybe even Congress. Last year, we proudly helped elect UUP member Monica Wallace to the state assembly. This year, it was Christine. If you're like Monica or Christine, and you want to be the change you want to see in this world, run for elected office. Contact one of NYSIT's regional political organizers to start the conversation. Visit nysit.org RPO to contact the organizer near you. I just went through the roof. I, just, I remember going into his office and just throwing my briefcase on his desk and papers went flying all over the place and I threw the paper in his face and I, I just said, you told me you wouldn't do it. I mean, honesty is very important to me and when somebody makes a commitment, says they're going to do something, do it. Don't, you know, don't mess up. That's former Plattsburgh Teachers Association president and NYSIT board member Rod Sherman. Now let's be clear. Rod is one of the nicest and most mild-mannered union leaders I've ever encountered but you can really hear his passion for what's right and what's fair shine through in the stories he tells during this recent conversation he had with Nikki Richardson about his long history of union activism, beginning with when he first joined the union in 1967. Started teaching in 67. And uh, at that time there was no agency fee or anything, but I became a member right away. I think it was $5 or some crazy, ridiculous little number Mm -hmm. to join the, the local Plattsburgh Teachers Association. And what, what, what did you teach? Middle school, mathematics. Actually, junior high school at that time. Mm-hmm. Math. And then when did you first start getting involved, like first start getting active in the union? It was, um, I would say my second year, uh, I became a building representative. Uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of activism. Then. It was the, the Taylor Law had just been passed. We were on our first contract. And they were looking for volunteers to do that. And I said, oh, why not? And uh, so I said, yes, I will do it. So it was a, I don't even think it was an elected position. I think it was just you were appointed to be the building rep. And I was the building rep in our middle school, one of two building reps. And then at some point you did serve as the local president, correct? Oh, yeah. Things changed very quickly. Uh, this was in 67. And then it seemed like every year we had problems getting a contract. So it really, the heat on the fire really got turned up. And uh, it was in 73. I became a state delegate to the NYSTA convention. Uh, I think it's 69. It was a couple years later. And then um, there was a lady who was uh, a strong activist in our union who, 
rounded up a few of us and said, you guys need to be officers in the union. And so I agreed to run for president. Other people agreed to do other things. And so that was a time when uh, I guess it's not so unlike the way things are now. Locals are always looking for people to, to be president since well, in 73, I uh, became president, 1973. And how long were you the president for? Uh, 39 years. Yeah. Ah. I, I retired in 2012, and I was local president from 73 right on to 2012. And can you talk a little bit about your experience with, with your strike? Well, in, in 73... And a superintendent who was an ex, ex-Marine, and he really, I think, believed that's how you're supposed to run a school as a Marine sergeant. And um, we had had all kinds of problems in negotiations, and he was actually interfering with negotiations by putting out what he called the superintendent's follow-up to every negotiating session, and it was so inaccurate, and it was just doing nothing but creating more problems. And... Um, so I remember going to his office. I mean, I was in the middle school, and that's where all the, the wolves were in the middle school. And they were getting all over me about talking to the superintendent. So um, I went over and had a conversation with him and said, you know, I wish you wouldn't do that because it's really causing problems. And he was very emphatic about the fact he had the right to do it, and I wasn't going to argue whether he had the right or not the right. To me, it was all about, it was interfering with negotiations and actually was creating a problem. So he said, oh, you wouldn't do it anymore. And then it was like a week later, after the next negotiating session, he did the same thing all over again. And uh, just like, I just went through the roof. I, did, I remember going into his office and just throwing my briefcase on his desk and papers went flying all over the place. And I threw the paper in his face. And I, I just said, you told me you wouldn't do it. I mean, honesty is very important to me. And when somebody makes a commitment, says they're going to do something, do it. Don't, you know, don't mess up. So anyway, we ended up doing a lot of picketing around his, the, the, the superintendent's office, uh, carrying the signs and so on. Eventually got a two-year contract. And then the strike. 75, the same superintendent was there. And it was a long, drawn-out session. And... I had so many again. I was in the middle school, and that's where all the the real strong union activists were. Not that they weren't in the other buildings, but they made a lot of noise. Uh, and they told me that they didn't want to carry another sign for picketing unless it had on strike on it. They made that really clear. And the board let that superintendent go in the middle of the summertime. And um, we got a new superintendent who really was... A really nice person, the son of labor people from Amsterdam, New York. So he understood unions. I had a great relationship with him. We could not settle the contract. The damage had been done. Um, we both knew that probably a strike was imminent and that we would work our darndest to make it as short as possible and to be very careful with the name calling because after the strike, there's always an after the strike, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to get back to school. And uh, it was a three-day strike. It was, uh, I don't know, I was 29 years old or something at the time. It just There just wasn't any strikes in northern New York. There were a lot of strikes in the state, though, at that time, in different places. But that was, that was uh, 
the first in northern New York. And uh, they say the three-day strike occurred, and there was an after the strike. How many people were on strike? I think it's all but three. Wow. Were out the official record. There might have been some others in there, but it was all the three were out. It it unified our district. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the members, our members, I call it the district, the association, it unified the people that come to work every day in our Plattsburgh City School District. And we had been labeled by a group of professors from Albany State who came up and did an analysis of our school district a few years earlier as a, a school district of six islands. We had six school buildings with no boats or bridges in between. And I remember saying to that superintendent after the strike was over, we have unity now, let's build a school district out of this. And we did. We both worked very hard at establishing trust and creating a school district. We got teachers involved in committees when hiring came up to just more and more bring the teachers in. You know, if you think about it, it took a lot to get that trust from the school board, you know, after the strike. Mm-hmm. And so you took small steps. And you showed by example. Took a long time to get there, but eventually we became a trusted entity that when we were given a professional responsibility to be involved in important decisions of the school district, we took those responsibilities seriously. So what, as a retired member, what advice do you have for our in-service members who are about to be facing uh, you know, this this Janus decision and a possible post-agency fee world? Well, they need to they need to know that this is, they're not entering if they lose their uh, agency fee. They're not entering a new world that we didn't go through. Uh, back in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, we didn't have agency fee. We had dues checkoff, which you could get, but you had to negotiate that. Uh, there was a time we went around building to building, person to person, collecting dues. Uh, and so they're not, they're not in a new era. For us at that time, it was very important to build the union and stay strong. And that's not any different than what they need to do today. In fact, I think that the political opponents to public education and collective bargaining are well, much better organized than they were when we started out. We were beginning to lay the groundwork in the late 60s and early 70s for all of this stuff. They need to protect those rights. And it's, it's just as important for them today to protect the rights as it was for us to begin to get those rights that we now enjoy. So don't give up. One of the goals for this podcast is to talk to our retired NYSET leaders to provide context for present-day activism with stories from the past. So be on the lookout for more conversations with NYSET legends like Rod Sherman in the future. You may have heard about this fall's vote on a constitutional convention in New York State. It's an idea that's so bad, it's uniting activists from across all political spectrums in opposition. In this next segment... Nice at CONCON guru Pete Savage and I talked to Tom King, president of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, to help explain why this thing we call the CONCON is just a big con 
and why you should vote no on November 7th. Uh, Pete, could you tell us a little bit, you're like the resident expert here at NYSET on this topic. Could you tell us a little bit about what's coming and what we can expect? Sure. So uh, November 7th uh, of this year, the voters of the state of New York are going to be asked whether they want to hold a constitutional convention or not. Um, It will be a ballot question. It'll probably be the most important thing they vote on come this November uh, on whether to hold this. Every 20 years, the people of the state of New York are asked this question and they decide whether they want to have it or not. In 1997, they voted it down. Um, but in, 19, in 1977, they voted it down as well as in 1997. Um, in 1967, we held a convention, um, but we haven't had one in a while. Um, and that's actually a good thing that we haven't had one in a while because we've been using the amendment process to uh, do, the constitu- do changes to the Constitution. Um, the labor movement and other groups like the Scope and some other kind of strange bedfellow groups are very concerned about this. We're concerned that the rights and the protections that are ensconced in the Constitution could be upended if we hold a convention. Um, And that's kind of why groups that don't normally work on things together have gotten together to try to fight this, uh, to try to stop this from happening, knowing that we can change things through the amendment process and don't necessarily need to light the entire Constitution on fire and say we're going to start over. Um, and start with just a blank sheet of paper and suspend gravity. Um, we're, we're very concerned about labor rights, about retirement security, uh, and about a lot of other issues too, um, including the uh, forever wild protections that protect the Adirondacks and the Catskills uh, on what could happen if we hold a convention. And Tom, what is it specifically that your group is concerned about with having a constitutional convention? Well, pretty much everything that, that Pete just said, but we, we have a few different issues as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a big divide between uh, upstate and downstate, you know, and I know people don't like those words, but it's exactly what the case is. There's, a, there's different traditions, different values upstate than there is in the, in the, the New York City area and, and the boroughs. So we, we feel that because of the, uh, the, the amount uh, or the difference in the population between downstate and upstate, that whatever comes out of a constitutional convention is going to be uh, forced upon us by the preponderance of the population down in New York City. So we, uh, we decided that it was time that we have to stand up and tell our members and tell the people upstate that this is, th- these are two different states under, under one boss and that we need, to, we need to make sure that upstate is heard as well as downstate. And the best way for upstate to be heard is through the amendment process rather than through a uh, constitutional convention because in a constitutional convention, of course, the, uh, the preponderance, preponderance of voters is going to make the decisions rather than what's right for everyone in the state. So there are those that are calling this a people's convention, um, and you know we've been describing it as an Albany Insiders convention. Um, can you tell me a little bit about who you think will get elected uh, to become delegates if this constitutional convention were held? Well, yeah, it's it's really pretty obvious. The people that are going to get elected are the uh, the politicians, the politicians' uh, staff people, the politicians' family. They have the uh, they they have the the infrastructure set up in order to 
to run the balloting to get to be a delegate. It's not the everyday person who's going to be a delegate who's going to go in there and standing up for his rights. It's not going to be the Constitutional Convention like our forefathers had. You know, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be totally different than that, okay? And and that's what our people have to understand that, you know, the days of the um, – you know, the founding father standing up and pounding on the desk and saying, this is the way it's going to be. It's over. This is this is politics. It's politics right from the word go. And we don't have the numbers upstate in order to derail the downstate politics. And Tom's absolutely right. I mean, I've been working on this issue for the last several years for NYSEN. And if you even look even in recent history, the, the last convention in 1967 – 80% of the delegates were former or current elected officials. So the idea that this will be a people's convention and, you know, your, your milkman and your teacher and your police officer are going to take possibly up to 18 months off their job and go be a delegate at this convention, it's, it's preposterous. They're not going to. The people who are going to be elected to this are sitting and former politicians um, who are going to be able to augment their salaries and augment their benefits by being a delegate. Um, it won't be a people's convention. That's that's a myth. It's, it really is. And history has proved that out. Great. And there's been a lot of discussion in the media about what a constitutional convention might cost, um, something that the taxpayers would have to fund. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you think this would come out of this in terms of the impact on taxpayers? You know, it's hard to say right now. I mean, I've heard uh, some people say, well, it's only going to be about – two and a half million dollars to others saying, well, it's going to be a gazillion, you know, I don't know. it's going to be somewhere in between there. And, and, and I think that will be a closely guarded secret until after the constitutional right. convention. And that's when we'll find out how much it cost us to have our civil, civil liberties taken from us. I, I think it's, it's safe to assume this is going to be several hundred million dollars, just given the fact that all of the delegates will be paid the same as a sitting assembly member, which is almost $80,000. And on top of that, benefits. And that's not including the staff that they're going to have to hire. Both the individual delegates will be able to hire a certain – will have a staff allocation, benefits paid to those people. The convention itself will need staff, just like the legislature has staff that doesn't work for a member. They work for the legislature. The convention itself will need staff. 1967, when we had a convention, the state legislature met for three months. And so they had a ready-made venue to actually hold this convention in in the assembly chamber when they met in April to hold the convention. It's not the case in modern New York. They meet for six months, sometimes longer. They come back for special session. Who's to know where they're even going to hold this? And they're not going to find a place to hold it for free. They may have to rent an enormous venue for 18 months. So saying this is going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars, I think, is well within the realm of possibility. And hundreds of millions of dollars for what? In 1967... The people of the state of New York voted down any of the changes. So the 50 or 60 or $70 million they spent in 1967 was a waste of money. Right. Well, one of the things that I think most people don't realize is that there's a difference between a constitutional convention and a constitutional amendment. Because there are a lot of things that we've changed in the past via the traditional constitutional amendment process, like casino gambling. That's probably the one that most people Mm -hmm. think of. do you think that voters will be able to distinguish this when, when it comes time to vote on it in November? I think that uh, if we educate the voters, if we explain to the voters the difference between the amendment process uh, and a constitutional convention, I think that they will entirely be on our side and jump on board because no one wants to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. And 
everybody understands what can happen when you let a bunch of politicians alone in a room together. <laughs> and they, they just, you know, uh, the, the distrust for the, the, the rank-and-file politician today in New York State and around the country is such that I think that people would rather have control of the amendment process than let the politicians take control of rewriting our Constitution. I, I can just echo what Tom said. I mean, on top of the enormous waste of money that can be spent on other things like schools and roads and bridges and countless other things, um, we, we could be spending our money much better than holding a constitution where uh, not only our civil liberties are at stake, but also from the point of the labor, the labor movement, our labor rights are at stake and everything else. I mean, I, I, I like to hunt and fish in the Adirondacks and I don't want to see those, those things taken away. I want to make sure those things are around for multiple generations beyond me. Um, and I don't want to see those things taken away. And I think that could possibly happen with a convention. So I don't want to risk it. There are some who say that the regular constitutional amendment process is just too hard. That, you know, have to pass through two successive legislatures and then go to the voters for a vote. It's just too much. What would you say to that? I would say uh, since the eight, late 1800s when we had a major rewrite in the state constitution, we've used the amendment process 200 times. So that many, uh, that many times. Yeah. We've used the amendment. It's listen, it's a, it's a, it's a system that doesn't cost us anything because the legislature is meeting anyway. The legislature, they're there to pass bills. You do an amendment by passing a bill through two separately elected legislatures. Every two years you reelect the state legislature, a bill goes through and then a bill would go through uh, two years after it then appears on the ballot. So it's costing relatively nothing uh, as opposed to costing hundreds of millions of dollars to basically throw a party in Albany that may amount to may amount to nothing other than a waste of money or may amount to a lot of things changing that we don't necessarily want changed. Okay. Um, well, what would you say to those that say, well, all of these things you're saying are sort of far-fetched, that you're going to take away the forever wild or you're going to um, you know, remove the right to a free public education? There's a lot of folks who say, well, it can't happen here, that that would never happen. Um, how, what is your response to that? You know, um, I would have said um, 25 years ago that there would never be a legislature that would ban any firearms, okay, Uh, speaking from my perspective. And that happened in 2013. And if if that can happen to what is a right that's guaranteed under the Second Amendment, then anything can be taken away. You know, it's not a case of when, it's a a case of when, not how, and it will happen because a constitutional convention is is held, you know, essentially with closed doors. Yes, there's press there and everything, but you don't see the negotiations that are going on, where if you have an amendment process and you, you propose an amendment, it gets a fair and open discussion in the press mm-hmm. and, and, and the people, and it's, it's very, very transparent, where the constitutional convention process is far from transparent. And, and from the labor standpoint, you know, our, our members are very concerned about their retirement security. And in the state, in the New York State Constitution, their retirement security is guaranteed. Um, and other states have used the language of the retirement security that New York has to model their own constitutional amendments, the few that are out there that protect the retirement security of public employees. There's a lot of what we call pension envy out there. That retirees, they say public employees shouldn't have the pensions that they have, even though they're very modest pensions. They shouldn't have the, the pensions that they have. And I, I would be remiss if we didn't mention that the fact that it's that could be at stake. 
under the Constitutional Convention. Um, and given that the, the not all the delegates would be supportive of that, all not all the delegates could possibly be supportive of public employees or supportive of their retirement rights. It's not something our members, not something nice or the labor labor movement, the labor community want to risk. I have one more thing to add. Uh, what would the state of the Social Security Fund be if it wasn't added into the general fund? Would it be solvent? I don't know, uh, but I'd hazard a guess that it would be. What are you doing to get the word out to your members of your association? Well, we're a grassroots organization, and, and we have Facebook, we have um, you know email alert list, we have a web page, so we're we're doing that. Plus, uh, any any speaking engagements that I that I do, I always mention the fact that we don't really want a constitutional convention, and I, I think that the people of uh, you know the rank and file of my organization are. Are, are buying into that. They understand the, the dangers of, of allowing uh, an elite class to, uh, to make the rules for them. And uh, so I think that it's, it's something that will work out in the long run, but it's something that we have to stay on top of and make sure that our people are educated to, to what the dangers of the Constitutional Convention are. Great. And from NYSET's standpoint, we've been working with not only uh, the labor movement at large here in New York, but we've been working with other groups, other groups we don't work with on a lot of issues, like Tom's group and the Conservative Party and some other some other groups, um, which I think that just goes to show you how important an issue this is and how broad. And, and the Working Families Party. Working Families I mean, Party it, from all sides all of the... All walks of life <laughs> and all sides of the political <laughs> spectrum are opposing this. And you seem to have a lot of uh, well-funded former elected officials and lobbyists who are supportive of this. Um, and I almost wonder if it's so they can make sure that they're elected as a delegate later on. Uh, but that's my own opinion. Um, oh, that's cynical. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you had everything up. This is yes. my legislative session, so I'm getting a little cynical sometimes. But uh, it, it, not just the labor movement. We're working with other groups. And, I, and again, I think that shows how, how broad of a reach this issue has and how important it is to so many people. Well, thank you guys so much for um, being interviewed on this podcast. And we look forward to working with you, Tom, in this fight all session long. Great. Good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was my chat with Pete Savage from NYSET's legislative team and Tom King of the State Rifle and Pistol Association. NYSET and the Rifle and Pistol Association are just two members of the New Yorkers Against Corruption, a coalition of more than 100 groups from across the political spectrum united against the Constitutional Convention. Left and right, conservatives and progressives, the range of the participating groups is pretty astonishing and a testament to just how bad a Constitutional Convention would be for New York State. You can see the full list at nyagainstcorruption.com. Some of the names on the list may surprise you. Well, that's our first episode. There are many more conversations in the works about the advocacy and activism of NYSET members. The best way for you to know when these conversations happen is to subscribe. You can search for NYSET Mac Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter at NYSET Mac Podcast. Send us feedback at united at nycetmail.org. Learn more about the podcast at nycet.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.